You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So one of the things that we did over the summer uh, was we did, uh, we did a session called, I think we called it Inspiration Conversation. Uh, and the idea was a bit like the podcast in the pub thing, um, uh, where when we come together, those of us that were there uh, around tables, we were just sharing um, some of the things that, uh, that we'd found inspirational. So it might have been a podcast that we listened to, it might have been a book that we'd read, a film that we'd seen, a piece of music. Uh, and some really interesting things came out of those conversations around the tables. And um, on the table that I was on, um, someone mentioned the film uh, The Railway Man. Uh, has anyone seen The Railway Man? Uh, Colin Firth, if that helps anybody, to, or Nicole Kidman are in it. Uh, so it was released about six years ago, I think. Um, and it was based on uh, this book, uh, The Railway Man, by uh, Eric Lomax. And uh, it's a very powerful story uh, of uh, his experiences in a Japanese prisoner of war camp uh, where he was interned. He was, uh, like other prisoners, uh, experienced great hardship and torture deprivation in that place. It's about those experiences, but most of all, really, it's about the aftermath of all of that and how he uh, came to terms with that or didn't come to terms with that, how he discovered in the years after the war that all of that stuff was, was still there, was churning away, was beginning to affect him in all sorts of ways. And he got to the point where he realized that he needed to do something about it. And so for him, that ended up in a journey that took him uh, back to Thailand, back to Burma, um, and ultimately took him to Japan, where he met one of the prison guards, one of the people who'd been his tormentor uh, during that time in the camp. Um, and he met this man and was reconciled to him. They became friends. Uh, and it is a very powerful story, and it's hard to, to read it without feeling uh, the, the weight of that. And there's a, a line right at the end of the book um, where he says this, he says, sometime the hating has to stop. Uh, and I say, I commend the book to you. The film is good. Um, but it's a very powerful story. And it's an extreme example, isn't it, of something that we all have to deal with, which is this issue of forgiveness, the challenge and the need to forgive. And um, over the summer, as uh, many of you know, we moved house. And um, we weren't just involved in moving a house, but we were also involved in renovating a house. Uh, Mike did most of the heavy lifting and hard work, and skillful stuff. Um, but we did a lot of the, uh, you know, the kind of grunt stuff as well. So there's a lot, of, uh, lot to do. Um, sorting out the garden was interesting. All sorts of junk and stuff in there and uh, rusty nails and brambles and all sorts of things uh, in there. Um, rubble to shift. I don't know how many times I went to the dump with bags of rubble. Um, boxes and furniture to move sometimes more than once because it went into run, one room and then into another and all of that sort of stuff. So over the summer, uh, it felt like I kind of got to the end of the summer feeling a little bit battered and bruised. I kind of felt like I was covered in little scratches and knocks and bumps and muscles were aching and all that sort of thing. And of course, most of the time, all of those things heal up fine. There's not a problem. But sometimes a scratch can get infected, can't it? And it begins to get more serious and it gets to the point where we need to do something about it. Maybe we keep aggravating a muscle. 
Again, it gets to the point where something has to be done. We can't ignore it any longer. And relationships are like that, aren't they? We're all a bit scratchy. We're all a bit like brambles, and we're all a bit prickly, and we kind of bump up against each other from time to time. There are little sort of knocks and bruises and scratches that we get kind of emotionally, relationally, socially, from our interactions with each other. And most of the time, those little nicks and those little bumps, they, they, they sort themselves out. Most of the time, forgiveness is something we do without thinking about it. We just kind of say, ah, it's all right, we don't, don't worry about it, we move on. It's kind of almost an automatic thing. But sometimes, things stick, don't they? Sometimes, perhaps there's a wound that gets aggravated. Perhaps there's something that gets a little bit infected. A raw nerve is touched in some way. And we're left with a problem that needs to be addressed. It won't just go away. We can't just kind of move on. Something sticks there. Forgiveness is no longer an automatic response. We actually need to do something about it. And for some of us this morning, perhaps that's a live issue. Perhaps there are things that, we, that come to mind very readily think about this issue of forgiveness, not so much whether we are forgiven, but whether we can forgive somebody else for what they've done to us. But for all of us, learning to practice this art of forgiveness is one of those essential life skills, because all of us will have to do it. Sometimes it will be very hard, sometimes we'll have to keep going at it, but we all need to be able to forgive. So it's not surprising that the Bible has lots of stories around this issue of forgiveness. If you go all the way back, very early chapters of the Bible, we've got Jacob and Esau. We've got Joseph and his brothers. We've got Saul who refuses to forgive David for just being more popular than he is and all that comes out of that. All these stories that we we see all the way through to the teaching of Jesus and to this uh, parable that we're looking at this morning. So we're looking at this parable, this story from Matthew uh, chapter 18. If you've got a Bible, uh, either old school like me or on your phone or whatever, if you want to follow, it's Matthew chapter 18. There are Bibles at the back if you want to, uh, if you want to go old school on it. So Matthew chapter 18. And when we're thinking about parables, uh, it's always helpful to look at the context because very often the context of the parable is a key to understanding what the parable is about, why Jesus told a particular story um, and why he told it in the way that he did. And here, uh, the context for this parable, this story that Jesus tells, is a question. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. So Peter asks this question. You might think, well, it's a bit, of a, a bit of a strange question, perhaps to our ears. We may think, uh, why is he asking that? We might be critical of Peter for thinking that forgiveness can be calculated in that way. Why, why think in, even think in those terms of how many times do you forgive somebody? But actually, it's one of those questions that the rabbis debated. You, if you were here last week, remember that uh, Rabbi Monique was talking about the Jewish approach to the Scriptures, which is very much one of interrogation. There's no sort of sense that the, the Scriptures are given and it's a closed book. The answers are all there. We've worked out what the answers are. That's it. 
the Jewish kind of mindset, the Bible is there to be opened up, to be explored, to be discussed, to be debated. And one of the things the rabbis debated was precisely this question. How often should we forgive? And the consensus was that three times was enough. That Beyond three times, there was no requirement on you to, to keep forgiving. So Peter's actually going a little bit beyond that when he says seven times. It may seem odd to us, but he's actually kind of being generous here. He's kind of, he's got a bit of a sense, I think. He's been around Jesus long enough to, to sort of sense that the conventional answers to things aren't going aren't gonna to be the ones that Jesus is going to come up with. I think he kind of knows enough about Jesus to think, well, he's not just going to say what everyone else says. So let's kind of push it out a little bit. Let's, let's stretch the, the, the boundaries, the borders a little bit. But Jesus' response kind of blows the whole thing out of the water. Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And in your Bible, there might be a little footnote that says it, that we could translate that as seven times 70 times, which is 490 times. But either way, the point is that it's not a, method, it's not a matter for calculation. I mean, 70 times is way beyond what anyone's really going to do, isn't it? You're not going to keep a tally list for that long. So what Jesus is saying, in effect, is there is no tally list. This is not about keeping count. So he's blowing the whole idea out of the water. And to illustrate that, he tells this parable that we, we read earlier. Um, and the story falls uh, readily into two parts. Um, we sort of thought a little bit uh, about the first part, particularly as we were leading into our worship and uh, the reflection that Hannah just led us in. But throughout the story, we see uh, extreme behavior. It's a story which is full of extremes, of gross exaggeration. This isn't one of those stories. It's a kind of ridiculous story, and it's meant to be ridiculous. This isn't one of those stories where we're meant to think, oh yes, I can identify with that character or that character. It's kind of like, this is crazy. Everything about the story is crazy, because it's meant to get our attention. It's making such a serious point, and such a new point. There's something new that Jesus is wanting to say, so he needs to use this exaggerated language to help us to get it. He's saying this isn't like anything else that you've understood before. This is new, this is different. And so in the first half, we have this story, uh, the servant who's racked up this ridiculous debt. So uh, a talent is, uh, was a, a week's wages. So he's racked up about 200 years' worth of wages in debt. So how on earth he's managed... So, you know, this is not something that really could have happened. It is extreme, it's ridiculous, it's crazy, but that's the setup. So he's, he's got this, uh, this debt. Uh, the king's response is, uh, is, seems pretty extreme, doesn't it? He says, well, uh, the guy can't pay, so the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Okay, that's pretty harsh, but that's obviously the way things were. That's the, ex that's, that's the way the world worked. That was the expectation. You can't pay, then you suffer. And it's not just you, it's your family. Because individuals didn't stand alone. It was a family unit. And so everybody was impacted by this. That was, that was how things were. Nothing out of the ordinary there, really. But tough on the guy... And then he has the temerity to suggest that he might be able to pay it back. He says, give me time and I'll pay it back. Really? 200 years worth of wages? 
Where are you going to find that money, especially if you're in jail? <laughs> What's, how on earth is this going to... Never going to happen, is it? Crazy. It's like the gambler, isn't it, who's just like one big win that's going to clear all the debts. It's not going to happen. Everybody knows that. The king knows that. And so we might expect perhaps an angry response. Kings don't like being taken for fools, don't like being taken the mick out of. So we might expect a wrathful response. But we don't get that. We get completely the opposite. We get something extraordinary, something amazing and astonishing and unbelievable because the servant just asks for time. Lord, give me time. What he gets is freedom. The debt is completely discharged, way beyond anything he ever hoped for or imagined. Asking for time was stretching it, but the debt cancelled, completely cleared. What? What king would ever do such a thing? But there it is. The whole debt is cancelled. So, how would the other servants react when they hear this? These other servants that the king has called in to have settle up the accounts, what are they going to say when they hear that this guy's had his debt cancelled? Jealous? Yeah, more than that. I mean, what are they going to say to the king? Me too, absolutely, yeah. What about my debt then? And fair dues. I mean, the king can't do anything other than cancel everybody's debt, can he? Because he can't say, well, I can't do it for one and not for another. There's going to be uproar. So... This is not just about one individual having his debt cancelled. This is actually about a whole new thing that, uh, that is being introduced. This is a whole new way of running a kingdom. That's what's going on here as this king cancels this debt. Because everybody's, if one debt is cancelled, then all debts are cancelled. It would have to work that way. So this is something new. This is something different, radically different. And that's the key point. This is not about an individual. This is actually about a way a kingdom is run, how this kingdom functions, and about how something new that is happening. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is about. It's important to notice how Jesus begins the parable. He doesn't begin the parable by saying, this is how you can be forgiven, or this is how you should treat it. This is how the kingdom of heaven works. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This new thing, radically new and different. It's not just a different way of making accounts, of tallying things up. It's not a different set of rules that say, well, no, it's not those, it's now. It's these things that we're worried about. And these are the debts that you can rack up. This is a new thing, a new way of being, where debts are cancelled, not just reckoned in a different way. So it's important to get just how radical this is. And so that's where part one ends, first part of the story. And that's great, isn't it? It's a lovely story. We probably think it'd be great if it finished there, wouldn't it? It'd be nice, nice little story. And isn't that great? That's something that we can celebrate. It doesn't end there, does it? Uh, Joe, I think, was pointing out last week, the derivation of the word parable comes from two Greek words, para and labon, which means, if you put them together, it means to throw alongside. And the idea of a parable is that it puts two things alongside each other which don't really belong, which make you think, hang on a minute, this, what's going on here? This doesn't fit with that. It's interesting that humour can be defined in the same way. That people have said that's the way that humour works, actually, by putting things together which don't belong together. 
So an appropriate response to a, to a parable is actually, you must be joking. Think about that when you read one of the parables. That's the sort of response that Jesus is looking for. You must be joking. That doesn't go with that. Those things don't fit together. We need to think about the parables as being told in an environment quite often of laughter, of humour. Jesus with a smile on his face. Because it's a joke, isn't it? Or is it? A couple of weeks ago, Jill, I think, was talking about dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. This idea of two different ideas. Same sort of thing. But the way in which we struggle to hold two competing ideas together at the same time. Creates this thing called dissonance, which I think is like a musical term as well, isn't it? Where you have sort of clashing chords and notes, and it creates dissonance, which is unsettling and disturbing. But it's also quite, there's a kind of an energy that comes with it as well. So we get that in this parable, this dissonance, this, this kind of discomfort that comes. Because if we just got the first part of the parable, we think, great, what a lovely story. But we don't just have the first half, we have the second half. And the second half is altogether darker and more difficult, I think, for us to hear. And so uh, we have the second half of the, the story. So we might expect, perhaps, that the servant uh, from the first part would have been transformed by this experience, that he would have been so overwhelmed by the fact that he'd been forgiven this massive debt that his life would be changed. That's what we want, isn't it? That's where, how we want the story to go, and sometimes the story does go that way. Think of Zacchaeus. That's what happened to him, isn't it? His life was turned upside down. But not here, because this guy doesn't react in that sort of way. The opposite is true. What he does seems quite outrageous. And yet, as I was suggesting at the beginning, if you take it in isolation, what he does is, is maybe not so outrageous. After all, he's owed a fair bit of money. You know, 15,000 quid. You know, it's a decent amount of money. And according to the old system, he doesn't do anything wrong, does he? Just like the king calls in his debts, so the, the first servant calls in his debts. And when the, uh, when the second servant can't pay, he throws him into jail, which is what was going to happen to him in the first. So according to the old system, the old way of doing things, this guy doesn't do anything wrong. He's simply reflecting the way things are or the way things were. And that's the problem. It's the way things were, not the way things are now. He hasn't understood that things have changed. That there is a new economy. There's a new way of doing things that the kingdom is now being run on different lines. And he's still living according to the old script and the old way of doing things, the old way of keeping accounts. And that's the problem. He doesn't see, he doesn't understand that things have changed. And so what the king says to him when he finds out about this is, in effect, if you insist on living under the old system of reckoning, then so be it. That applies to you as well. And it all comes back on him. And so Jesus says through this story and through the way that the story unfolds, that when you fail to forgive, you show that you don't understand what the kingdom of God is about. And there will be consequences for that. This is how your Father in heaven will treat you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. And so there is, as I say, there is a dissonance in this parable, there's the first half, it's all about this extravagant grace, and then the second half. So you've got the, 
the servant, the behavior of the king towards the servant, and then the servant's behavior towards his fellow servant. There's that sort of clash, isn't there, between those two ways of being. But, but more fundamentally, there is also a tension between the free grace of the first half and the punishment of the second. Think about the king. On the one hand, he's offering this free grace, and then suddenly he seems to be back to how things were, punishing, putting this guy back in jail. What's, what's going on? There is that hard to hold both of those things together, isn't it? And we, as I say, we don't like that. We don't, as human beings, we don't like that dissonance, so we tend to try and resolve it one way or the other. So in this story, we either go to the first part of the story or the second. Most of us, and those of us that have grown up in a kind of evangelical context, would tend to go to the first part of the story. Well, the gospel is that when I come to faith in Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. And so that's me, once saved, always saved. So I don't need to think about that second part of the the verse. Somehow that doesn't apply to me, the second part of the story, because I'm, I'm in the first part of the story. That's me, that's where I am. And we kind of ignore what Jesus says, not just here, but in other places too, about this issue of forgiveness. Because we think, well, I want to be here. And that's, that's how I'm going to resolve this kind of clash in my head about these two things. I'm going to put myself here. Some of us will go to the other end. And some of us will say, ah, well, yeah, the, the story as it unfolds, it just confirms what I've always suspected, which is that I will never be good enough. That I can't be forgiven. That what I've done is too serious. I've always suspected that probably was the case, and here it is. Jesus confirms it. So we kind of go one way or the other. But Jesus didn't tell two different stories. He told one story, and we need to try and hold both parts of the story together. And the key to that is recognizing, as I say, that this is about how the kingdom of heaven works. It's not about how individuals ultimately are forgiven or not forgiven or what happens, but it's about how the kingdom of heaven works. What is the economy of the kingdom of heaven? How do things work? And the thing that we need to remember is that when Jesus came proclaiming the gospel, he proclaimed the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, same thing. So it wasn't an an invitation for individuals to secure their ticket to heaven or to gain some sort of lifetime guarantee of forgiveness. When G- what Jesus did is he called people to embrace a way of life, to choose to live in a different way. He came proclaiming a different way of being, a different economy, which works in this sort of way and in all the other ways that Jesus talks about in his parables and his teaching and in his actions as well. He called people to embrace a way of life and a way of being, that life, this, this life that, is, that we're called to, is founded on the extravagant, outrageous grace of God, which then overflows into the whole of life, including our dealings with one another. And especially when those relationships become fractious and fractured. Especially then, we need to be people of grace. Not just people who've experienced grace for ourselves, so we're okay, but people who experience grace and live it out in our lives, who reflect that grace to one another. It's a whole package. It's a whole deal. That's what we sign up to when we choose to follow Jesus. It's not just about dealing with my personal guilt. 
but it's about entering into an experience of grace which impacts everything, impacts the way that we treat other people. And if it doesn't do that, then it's not the kingdom of God. It's not this new economy. And so the hard point of this parable is that if we don't want this, if we don't want to be people who live lives of grace, as well as experiencing the grace of God, and in particular, if we don't want to be people who forgive as we are forgiven, then Jesus says, well, so be it. The kingdom of heaven is not for you. That's the hard word, the hard message of this parable. If we don't work at this business of forgiveness, then there isn't a place for us in the kingdom of heaven. Not because God doesn't want us there. Nobody is excluded from the kingdom because God doesn't want them there. But if we choose not to embrace the whole thing, Choose not to say, yeah, I want the whole thing. I, just, I don't just want to know that I'm sorted, but I want to be someone that can bring that sorting, if you like, that blessing to other people. I want to be a person of grace, as well as someone who has experienced grace for myself. If we don't want that, well, so be it. Go somewhere else, find something else. But that's what's offered. That's what the kingdom is, is about. That's the deal. That's the offer. It's not one of those things where there's a kind of tiered membership, where there's like a bronze, silver, and gold thing where you can pay a bit more and you kind of get a bit more of the package. That's the deal. That's what was being offered, this amazing gift of grace poured into our lives. But that's the challenge. That's the responsibility. That's the calling. You can't have one without the other. We can't ignore the point of the parable, which is verse 35. And if we choose to ignore what Jesus is saying, then we're not really following Jesus, are we? Bottom line. So there it is. And it's hard, isn't it? It's, it's a tough thing because forgiveness is not an easy thing. Sometimes it's a real challenge. And I imagine that some of us might be thinking, well... If it's this all-or-nothing thing, then I'm not sure there is a place for me because I'm not sure that I'm up to it. I'm not sure that I'm good enough. I'm not sure that I'm strong enough. I'm not sure that I can do this. But that's a mistake because that's then all about what we can do and what we can achieve. And this isn't about what we can do or achieve. It's not about how far we can come, but it's about what we want. It's about the desires of our hearts. It's about how we want to live our lives, not how we manage to live our lives. And it's important that we get that distinction. The kingdom of God is open to all those who want to live in this way. Whether we feel that we do the job well or not is, is not the issue. It's about what's in our hearts. Just as forgiveness has to come from the heart, not from some tally list. And so this parable invites us to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven experience the outrageous grace of God and to be mediators of that grace to one another. May we be a community of people who say yes to that. Amen. Let's pray, shall we?
Father, as we've tried to grapple with this uh, story this morning, uh, there's perhaps some bits of it that we wish weren't there that are hard for us to hear. But Lord, help us to hear clearly what you're saying to us. Help us not to fall back into that trap of self-condemnation, of listening to those voices that say, ah, you're not good enough, you're not going to be up to this, are you? Help us to know that that's not the point. Help us to understand that grace means that we can come as we are, that it's about what we want, it's about the direction we're traveling in, but where we want to be, not where we are, that matters. So Lord, pray that you'd help us to understand all of that and help us to be people who will say yes to this invitation. Yes to this wonderful offer of grace poured into our lives. Freedom from guilt and shame. But people also who are willing to take seriously the responsibilities of citizenship in your kingdom. So yes, may we be a community, Lord, of people who say yes to all that by the power of your Spirit. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.